Hello and welcome to this special edition of ACM's Vault of Cult. Um, it's been a weird time since our last episode. I've not been able to meet up with anyone in person to do a podcast because of everything that's been going on. Uh, 2020's been a weird year. So what I've done is an episode over Zoom. Um, <laughs> it's not gone as well as planned. I'd I'll be honest, I don't think it works over Zoom, but people spent the time to chat with me about movies uh, on that, so I'm going to put it out anyway as kind of a, a end-of-year season finale special. Um, it was going to be just about the movie Maniac Cop, and um, the first part of the show is about that um, kind of classic, <laughs> as you'll hear, my guests weren't so keen on the film as I was, um, but one of the guests mentioned a film um, that he wanted me to watch and see my opinions of, and we were going to do that as another episode, or maybe a special, but we thought we'd um, record a conversation about that movie and put it as part, part of this one. So we've got a longer episode for you. Um, I'm going to be taking a break until I think we'll, we'll come back with a second season Hopefully I'll be ready to start putting episodes out in um, sort of February time. So everyone enjoy the festive season. Happy New Year to you all. And um, we'll, we'll aim to get this, this going in full swing next year. Thanks for everyone who's listened. And thank you, of course, to everyone who's taken part. We do, This is the ninth episode, so we've done well, considering we started um, early September, I think it was. So anyway... Um, like I said, this isn't the perfect recordings. There's a few mistakes. Uh, a mobile goes off at one point, but I'm leaving it all in. I was going to re- try to edit it, but this is supposed to be sort of a raw, normal conversation. So I'm going to leave it at that. So um, I hope you enjoy it. And um, this is the conversation about Maniac Cop. Hello, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is uh, the first ACM's Vault of Cult podcast to be done on Zoom. Having a bit of Zoom trouble, but that's technology and I'm clueless. Um, that's why we talk about films that we all watch on VHS, obviously, because we're old school. Um, but we are focusing on 1988's classic uh, Maniac Cop. I'm joined by three mates who haven't seen it before, or hadn't seen it before. Um, two have been on before, and we've got a newcomer. Uh, newcomer James, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi there. Um, yeah, my name's James. I uh, I'm an artist that runs Mind Diddles and a shop called West End Music. Yeah, and, and I... you're a fan of um, sort of cult and older films, yeah, horror films, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think I was more when I was a, a teenager. It's not something that I watch lots of now. Yeah, but. I... I'm game for anything, so. <laughs> but you give it a go. And Antonio, yeah. Antonio and Adam, you're back. Um, you've recovered from Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yeah, but barely. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> it's uh, we, we got some positive feedback from that that um, podcast. Unfortunately, that was all from me. So, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, we got a few listeners, and I think that that was the probably the weirdest film um, we've done so far. The, probably the most unpopular film out of the ones we've done. Um, but it got um, a lot more listeners to, than the one that we done on The Craft, which surprised me. Because yeah. the, the Craft, even though I don't think it's as good a film, um, is remembered more fondly, I, I feel. Um, but um, this is Zoom, so this all feels weird to me doing this over Zoom. And um, yeah, but we're going to go crack on. Uh, Maniac Cop was released in 1988. 
um, bombed at the box office in the US, um, didn't even get a cinema release over here, but done really, really well on home video. And um, had, is there a reason why this film passed any of you by? Had you particularly avoided it? I'd never heard of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Otherwise, I would have been all in if it had come <laughs> radar. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd come across it on not coming to a cinema near you. Um, film review site is now defunct, sadly. A lot of the writers have gone on to bigger, better things. Um, but they used to do a 31 Days of Horror um, each Halloween, which I'd sort of follow um, lonely in my early 20s. And I remember them reviewing it then. Um, but I'm not a big slasher fan. I know it's a sort of pretty late slasher coming in at the end of the 80s. Yeah. Um, so that's mainly why I haven't seen it. Did it get a positive review from them? Um, faintly positive. Yeah. Um, they basically said it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> there is a cop in it and he is a maniac. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Antonia, had you heard of this one? I hadn't, no. No, I mean, I, and I, I do generally kind of appreciate sort of most of, uh, you know, Bruce Campbell's oeuvre, as it were. But, um, yeah, Maniac Cop, unfortunately, had, had eluded my attention up until now. I say yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> um, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's, uh, it's probably um, remembered fondly by a lot of people, mainly because of the, the two main stars, uh, Bruce Campbell and uh, Tom Atkins. Um, mm -hmm. Tom Atkins, I'm, I'm sure... If you didn't know who he was, you'd have all seen him films before, yeah? The, the, yeah. Main, the main sort of cop. Yeah, he was there. A bit of a legend. Yeah. Um, from the, um, Probably most well-known for The Fog and Escape from New York. Um, also mm. in a film a few years before this called Night of the Creeps, which if any of you have seen, is fantastic from the writer-director of The Monster Squad, which is a, a bit of a classic. Um, but I, I reckon by the, by the looks of you, I can see your faces that film passed you by as well, yeah? I've heard yeah. of the Night of the Creeps, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, um, I'll, I'll just sort of summarise the film um, briefly um, for, for those listeners who haven't seen it. Um, it's, um, I'll talk about the, well, I have spoke about the directors and writers in the intro, um, but it's, um, it comes across as a run-of-the-mill slasher um, film, but it's a, a, a cop, uh, and this is the strange thing about it. The, the first sort of third is almost like a who's done it, isn't it? And then it suddenly changes into just violence and carnage um, and running yeah. about and car chases. So I think that that's, I mean, obviously I like this film, that's why I picked it, but my main fault with it is how it just suddenly shifts gear um, from, you know, it's, it's shot um, when you first see Bruce Campbell, is, a, is it him? You know, it, 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 the camera follows him like it does in the first introduction when you see the, the cop getting ready, getting all these weapons and whatever he does. And um, then it just turns into a almost an action film opposed to a slasher film. Uh, would you agree with that? Do you, do you think that worked for the film or, or was one of the negative things? Yeah, I think it does try to kind of almost have its cake and eat it. It doesn't, doesn't seem to know what it wants to be in terms of film. There are, there are some decent, you know, stunt driving scenes and some, some reasonable stunts. Um, some of the uh, stunt people are quite obviously stunt people. Uh, there's some bad wigs. Yeah, and um, there's a scene at the end where Bruce, um, I think it's Bruce Campbell, comes out of the van that goes into the river, and he's yeah. got like long hair when you see the stuntman. That mm -hmm. bit's really. Uh, 
I, I love the sequence leading up to that where he's just basically being flung about in a van for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 for me, that's the appeal of it. It's that cheesy 80s, doesn't really care. Um, it's, um, I did watch this when I was fairly young, and it, at the time it seemed really, really violent. Um, which, watching it now, I, I didn't feel that. I don't know what you guys thought on the violent side of it. It's pretty vigorous neck tilts. But that's about it. But they might have been, oh, the bit in the, um, uh, in the shower with all the knives and the faces, that was pretty, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. So it's, it had moments, but it's not sort of constantly violent, is it? Um, no, no. Not by today's standards. I do still feel it would still be an 18 by today's standards, but that's because the little violence there is is quite graphic. Um, but yeah. it's 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 no um, hostile or anything like that, is it? Um, but it, some of the effects do look good. I feel it's all practical effects. Um, it's and it's not the because Bruce Campbell's in it. You might expect almost splatter, cartoony kind of blood and, and guts like in Evil Dead. But yeah, it, it does. The violence does look more realistic. I feel. Um, and uh, that, that's one one problem people might have with it is Bruce Campbell almost plays it too straight. I think I'm used to seeing him be the the wisecracking funny guy, and in this he isn't. He has a, a few lines which are meant for humour, but mainly he's just his character's quite boring. Would you say? I think that's kind of a notable exception throughout the entire film. There are spaces where you'd almost anticipate there'd be a joke or a wisecrack, and it's just not there. Yeah, um, and that. Yeah, with this sort of film, if it was unknown faces in those roles, you, you maybe not would not expect the, the line. But with him and, and um, Tom Atkins, in a way, Tom Atkins is, is angry all the way through this film, whereas um, he's often the wisecracking cop. Um, and then you, you've got the, the angry um, commissioner at the beginning of the film, um, which he should be sort of um, having the, the debate with uh, Tom Atkins, but they're both just angry at each other. Which I found amusing, but it, it shouldn't be. Um, well, I think Tom Atkins depressed, right? His character. <laughs> and there's this sort of thing that his his partner's died and he's tried to commit suicide. Um, so there's that line, he says, I never see you smile. And then he kind of cracks this grimace. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's what you get from um, Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. You know, his wife's died. <laughs> and, but he, he, he's a proper, he's laughing about everything. So maybe it's just because I'm used to that side of it. And um, I mentioned Leap of Weapon because I feel this film was just, it was trying to cash in on the slasher market. Um, and there was a lot of buddy cop films around it this time. So, mm -hmm. you know, you Leap of Weapons, uh, Tango and Cash. And also, um, it was only a year after Robocop came out, which was a massive hit. So you've got that, that cop thing. It's almost like, you know, this is the evil equivalent to Robocop in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's sold on the, the just just violence really. I mean, you saw the original video cover, which was just like the, the, the city, and then like a misty figure of, of a cop, which I remember seeing um, in the video shop when I was really young, and I desperately wanted to see it because of that and the eighteen certificate at the side of it. So I think this is very of its time, and even though it did get a small cinema release in America, I think it was aimed at that that's get people to rent it, rent it market. Um, and surprisingly, it's the same director as um, Maniac, the um, video nasty what got banned. And um, it's almost, it feels like a rip-off of that kind of movie, opposed to an, as a follow-on. I don't know if any of you have seen Maniac. A lot of people have seen the, the remake with, um, I forget it was in the remake. Um, it only came out about sort of seven, eight years ago. 
Uh, Elijah Wood. Oh. Elijah Wood was in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, quite a grim film. Um, whereas this, this is a grim film, but it kind of shouldn't be. And it doesn't, I don't think it'd actually disturb, disturb anyone. Unless you're a representative yeah. of the New York police, I suppose, who did have problems with it. Um, because they're all shown in a negative light, really. Um, mm. in, in Turkey, it had a different name where they didn't mention cop because they didn't want the police to um, well, be offended by it. But I think more over here, if you look at things like the thin blue line, we're used to the police being offended, aren't we? And uh, Constable Biddy and all that sort of thing. Um, but in America, yeah. they, they, it was a, I think that the aim was so the audience never feels safe because you, you normally you'd run away to a policeman, wouldn't you? Whereas mm. in this, they're running away and then they find a policeman and they're more scared than when they, what they're running from. Um, so I see the idea could work. And as a kid, you know, I didn't look at the faults. So I, I enjoyed it for that. Uh, Do you think the same film will be made um, nowadays in, in, in uh, controversial times and all the, all the occurrences <laughs> around Black Lives Matter and things like that, you know, when people feel much less safe around the police than, than yeah. they once were? That, that's that. blue lives matter, <laughs> maniac cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some, something I was, I was going to mention in a bit because there's a bit in the film where um, they're watching on TV a news report and they yeah. do it. They, it there is a, a, a black guy um, is being interviewed. And yeah, he, best bit of the film. Yeah, and, and they, he pretty much says he didn't feel safe for them anyway. And that's mm -hmm. the, yeah, it is almost the, the only bit of political commentary in, in the film. Um, but now, it, especially, it sticks out. Whereas maybe when the film was first released, it wouldn't have done. Mm. Yeah, we we thought the same. So yeah, so yeah. I mean, I, I don't think this film would be made now. It's, um, in the last year, after um, what, what's happened in the news. But interestingly, it was supposed to be remade and still on IMDb in production to be remade. Um, mm. But I think it would have to be a completely different film. Um, I, I think that. Uh, well, not yeah, a pretty different film, but the, the rest of the police, other than the main villain, have to be represented better. Because they're not really in this, are they? I mean, I think you could make quite an angry political film hmm. with this premise. Yeah. Um, but it'd be a very different kind of film. Yeah, yeah. So um, it'd be interesting if it, if it does still um, come out. I mean, it, it had two sequels, which surprised me. So it must have done pretty well on video to get that. And it's the same writer, um, writer in it. And um, in the third one, the same guy comes back to be the maniac prop. Who, uh, did you recognise him? Um, I forget his name. It's um, Robert something. He's been loads of. Um, I recognise the name. Yeah, Ro Robert Desar, isn't it? Who's um, he's he played loads of villains. I think he was in like the Dark Man sequels and um, Xena, Warrior Princess, things like that. Um, and he, he was a big fellow. He passed away five years ago, and he um, almost looked like he was designed to you know born to be a villain all the time and uh, you've got really typecast um strange looking fella scary big chin um which uh, oh, a lot. So, there, were chins all, there were chins all over this movie <laughs> yeah well, uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, it says on, on imdb that um both him and bruce campbell's nickname was the chin so um <laughs> they, they, you know, so yeah it should have been called chin versus chin um but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's maybe better in cinemas. In versus in, I'd see it in the cinema. Was well, that the? So you can't eat there. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, it'd just be way better if they called it Chin versus Chin, released at the cinema. I'd, yeah. I'd go see that. Yeah, in three D. <laughs> oh yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we, we mentioned the violence and the, the yeah, very good point about would it be made nowadays. Um. 
touch on the, the actual acting in it. We sort of said that, well, Ogmore said that um, there's no humour and stuff, but do you, do you feel that it's typical sort of B-movie acting a little bit better or uh, did, did any of it stand out? Hmm. No one dares say. <laughs> because, because for me, um, you know, a lot of the, the smaller roles were, were very um, almost TV movie style, I'd mm. say, and yeah. It, yeah. a lot of it didn't yeah, feel real. Quite, yeah. quite, uh, quite, quite sort of television acting, telenovela yeah. type actress. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say Tom Atkins was good. Um, Bruce Campbell, I think, is, is underused, and he he actually doesn't like the movie at all, and has said that he only recently said he only done it for the money. Um, but Bar Evil Dead, it's one of his more more famous films, I'd say. Um, but yeah, he, he's underused. The other, the other cop was, was fairly fairly watchable. I thought she was quite good. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, she, she's still acting as well. She was in um, probably most most well known through um, Airplane Two. She was in that, um, but I. I think um she was sort of in a lot of b movies the sort of scream queen type type actress in the 80s um mm -hmm. and then you know still working today and probably does a lot of the comic cons that sort of thing um but her character actually developed a lot through the film i thought at mm -hmm. first you know it's one of those films where people were dropping like flies and you didn't know whether she had a character came in that little bit later and you didn't know how far she'd stick through and she actually did make it to the end um which Hmm. Is one thing which wasn't predictable about the film, I suppose, because um, yeah, she could have died within ten minutes. And um, it, another thing was um, killing um, Tom Atkins' character off an hour through, when he was the um, the top billing of the film. He got um, above Bruce Campbell, which was kind of different for the yeah. time. I think almost drew Barrymore in screen that. Um, but then, as soon as he's gone. Bruce Campbell takes over from from him, doesn't he? And then, yeah. then it's the same thing. It's almost like they're the same character in the script. You barely see one, and then the yeah. other takes over. Um, nice tag team. Yeah, wrestling match. On, yeah. 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 Um, did Did you notice? I was talking about the acting. Did you notice um, any of the cameos in the film? Um, there's There's two yeah. I can think of. Yeah, William William Lusty himself was uh, was the motel owner, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah. That's. Um, how did you know that one? Because I saw it in the credits. Oh, okay. Ah, no. okay. Um, okay, that's, uh, that's one. Um, there's a really big one, if you're an Evil Dead fan. Really huge cameo towards the end. Um, when they're, um, no one seems to know, so I'll say. Um, and I only picked up on this uh, this time around watching it. Um, when there's the um, St. Patrick's Day Parade, there's um, the newsreader, and that's Sam Raimi. He's on, the screen, for, he's on the screen for probably about 30 seconds. Um, but he does a bit of voiceover, and he was brought in um, while they were filming it to um, to do some scenes to sort of get the quality of the film up. And then they sent the scenes he filmed to backers to get more money to get the film finished. So basically, <laughs> he came on board to save the film by the sounds of it. Um, and um, the other one is, and I, I should know the director's the, the actor's name, but I'm terrible um, for films I haven't seen. Um, is uh, Richard Roundtree who played Shaft. Um, was the um, commissioner at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah. He looked familiar, but I didn't, I never clicked before. And you've got to think this is you know, a good 10 years after Sharp, isn't it? So he's, he's aged quite a bit and cut some of his hair down. So I didn't know that until I, I was reading, reading up on the film. Um, 
and I haven't ever seen Shaft, and I should have done because it's one of those films, isn't it? Um, but um, you know, cameos aside, it's got that sort of memorable, you know, figures like that in the in the horror scene. I think that might be one of the things or reasons this film's remembered is you've got Sam Raimi, um, the, the director, writers have all done loads of other stuff, and it almost feels like um, you know a labour of love for them and. Um, uh, it's just so it's that unoriginal horror and it's easy to watch so fans of the genre do enjoy it um maybe those coming into it, especially yourselves who didn't watch it when they were young it might seem that little bit you know tame and um as, as i mentioned unoriginal did you say that yeah it's a yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah um it's not so much the tameness it just felt quite flat mm. um like, I think the direction's not very dynamic, uh, like, especially as it does have a lot of action scenes. Like, the camera's pretty static. Um, yeah. It feels quite slow and stayed in places. There's, like, there are moments, but I think it could feel a lot more dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were, I mean, one thing I'd say, it was really low budget, um, but I think, I think mm. they almost tried to do too much with a low budget opposed to mm. concentrate on making certain things really good. I mean, with a film like this, there's, there's no need for the car chase, I don't feel. Um, but they, they've made the point of putting a car chase in, which was very 1980s, wasn't it? Um, feels like every action film had to have a car mm. chase in it. And for a film like this, it's okay, it did not work, but was it needed in a slasher film? Yeah, I, I, I think the car chase wasn't necessarily... Oh, sorry. <laughs> So yeah, I'll call you back. Don't worry, I'll edit it. That was Sam Raimi suing us. Um, <laughs> I'll edit that out somehow. But um, car chase, yeah. Yeah. So I think the car chase did. It functioned as as a, it was an effective car chase. It wasn't necessary for a slasher film. Um, the soundtrack really helped, I think. Yeah. The more dramatic scenes. You know, that, that, that really sort of classic, heavily synthed soundtrack. Yeah, yeah the, the soundtrack I, I, I did think was good. Um, mm. And uh, I didn't make a note of the bloke the same, but he'd done, um, this, he'd done the music for Star Trek Next Generation and Enterprise, or some of it. So he credited to 28 episodes, um, cool. which is totally different from this. But it, it the, the the music worked all the way through the film, I think, um, from the creepy, you know, being chased scenes to the action scenes, um, very of its time. But then nowadays, these style of films are, are going for the retro soundtrack. So it's, it's to it totally works. And there's no um, kind of um, pop song on the soundtrack, which you'd often get in these films. When, when the credits roll, um, mm. you know, you, you could have got a cheesy song, which is on a lot of these slasher films and, and, 80s action films but with this there isn't and that could be a budget thing um, but I feel that actually helped the film more than more than not yeah he's a maniac maniac yeah film feel more sort of coherent than it in, in its own universe that it only yeah. had original, original music yeah um so yeah that, that's a plus for the film um that's so I I really enjoy this film but I think this is what this, this podcast is about is I don't think I'd have enjoyed, enjoyed it so much if I'd have seen it like, like you guys just have. 
Um, mm. I think that, that this is the one film I've done of these where that, that's shown by all three of you. But um, was there things you did like about the movie? Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I have a question though, um, <clears throat> because I may my, my attention may have waned at some point. Um, was the maniac plot himself supposed to be a member of the undead? Um, it hinted at that because yeah, he, he had you know, the, the pathology. He was he was on a pathologist table having an autopsy, and then you know he, he was either came back to life or was brought back to life by the pathologist. So. Yeah. Is, is, is he undead? Because he seems something other than human. Yeah, because um, um, towards the beginning of the film, he's shot several times. They actually mm. said, you don't see it, but the, um, the police lady says that he was shot in the face at least twice. So it strongly suggests it's a supernatural being, um, but that's not really explained. Uh, no. I, I haven't seen the sequels, but by, just by looking on the covers of them, I think they go more that horror route. Um, I see, man. It, yeah, so yeah. that... So they, it's one of those, it's, it's like we said at the beginning, there's a, this film, there's a lot going on, it kind of doesn't know what it wants to be. Mm. So they've added that, I, I feel, in the way that, um, you know, in the, in the first Halloween, that he could just be a, a normal guy, then at the end they can't kill him. Mm. I think that's the same sort of thing in this. Um, and, and the same in the first um, Friday the 13th, really, isn't it? Where, you know, Jason is human-ish. Uh, so yeah, I think it, that's just part of it, ripping other films off and just trying to be, trying to be that horror film, you know. Um, but for for, for a horror film, I, I, I feel it's far too actiony. Um, but yeah, as I say, th things you did like about it. Anything? <laughs> um, I was I was actually uh, super stoked to see a concrete death. It's something <laughs> that you just don't really see in films anymore. <laughs> Uh, or often, I think there's two that I remember in my lifetime. That film, maybe one of the lethal weapons, someone died in concrete. Yeah. It, yeah, it just doesn't happen a lot. And yeah, that was really exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, that is a thing from, from these films. It's um, a lot of people like myself would watch the, the Nightmare on Elm Street films, things like this. And it was literally you're waiting, waiting to see the next death and how creative they were. So, so it tick boxes for. for, for fans of that sort of thing. I mean, I, I can remember, I think I mentioned it on one of the other podcasts that when Nightmare on Elm Street came out on DVD, you could just click to the depths in each in each film. It's like the fans wanted to see it. And it was a, each movie tried to outdo each other. And in, in this, it's got a body count of 19. So there's 19 people die on screen, which is quite high. Hmm. And, and some of that is, you know, ticking the boxes for if you're a gore fan, I suppose. Yeah, um, I feel like the deaths aren't super invented though. No, I think they went for... Because it's, um, like, it's not like a Jallo film or something. Like, no. you know, if there's like an Italian horror and it would be sort of really out there and kind of rock yeah. and excessive with its deaths, like, it felt quite rooted in the police procedural. Yeah, it's like, they, they've gone for quantity over quality in this, I think. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, get the certificate up, get get the deaths in. Um, yeah, there's there's no sort of set piece where someone's creatively head gets chopped off is there um, <laughs> which is you know um what <laughs> almost the art your horrors would do um yeah yeah so it's so yeah it's not got that but it, it has got a high body count probably as many killings in this as there is in say any other halloween films um but another th thing I, I felt with is you don't really get sympathize with any of the victims because you don't see them for long enough 
Mm -hmm. um, so it opens with a, um, a, a girl being followed from a bar and, um, you know, she seems nice enough, um, but you, you've got no connection with the character. Um, and then, you know, throughout the film, the character's introduced, then killed, character's introduced, then killed. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is, you know, it, it's one of those formatic films which was very 1980s, um, which looking back is a big criticism. But back then, this is how films were, I suppose. And it, you've got to think this film is 32 years old, which for me, it doesn't feel that because I watched it when I was about 10 and I still think I'm 25. So it doesn't feel that old. But um, this is another reason I don't think, well, if this film was made now, it would probably be made through the horror channel or something really you know, lower budget than it had then. Um, and I think as well, it was trying to create a character for a franchise. It wanted to be the next Jason or Pinhead, that sort of thing. Um, mm. And even though there was a, a franchise came out of it, I think there might have even been a, um, a failed TV series or TV movie or something as well. Um, it's yes, one of those not children's cartoon. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Robocop did, didn't it? Um, so, um, you know, I think it's trying to be something of its time and wasn't, um, which I suppose makes it more, for the people who did like it, gives it that, that cult appeal. Um, there probably was merchandise and that sort of thing, you know. If it had been a bit more successful, jokes aside, there might have been a cartoon come out of it. You know, there was the Toxic Avenger. So, um, <laughs> who, who knows? Um, so, um, any other positives apart from the fact it was only like 80 minutes? Um, yeah, actually, in, in, it's an indirect positive, but it wasn't too sleazy. Yeah. yeah. You know, which, which is usually the case with slasher films, you know, really loads of sleaze and exploitation and kind of, yeah. you do kind of expect that in a way, and, and there wasn't any of that. So, you know, if you're not a fan of sleaze or the Jewish community, then this the film is a slasher film for you. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Been, was there any nudity in it or anything like that? No. No. Oh, well, apart from the nudity in the shower scene, there's the sort of homoerotic nudity. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, uh, a bit that we all remembered. <laughs> well, um, but one thing at the beginning as well, it's like when it's trying to, I think it's too obviously trying to make the viewer think that Bruce Campbell's the killer, that you you know that he isn't. Yeah. Um, but it's like you're supposed to think he's off to, to go murdering someone. But now it's all right. He's only cheating on his wife. Um, <laughs> oh, and then, the, it's and then he's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Then she dies. Um, he, doesn't he doesn't care at no, all. No, and then he, he's almost he like, great, I can, yeah. <laughs> I, I can be with my girlfriend now. The wife's dead. It's almost like he set it up. Um, <laughs> and it, um, and uh, the the actual killer's just waiting randomly in the car in case she comes out as well, isn't it? It's just that. Uh, yeah, she catches them together, storms off, and then suddenly gets murdered, which is, um, that doesn't really work, but I suppose the writers didn't really think about that, and maybe I'm overthinking about it because we're talking about it. Um, but for me as well, that doesn't set the Bruce Campbell character up to be very likeable. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> maybe if they'd have made his wife out to be this horrible person, you may have got away with it, but they don't at all, do they? She actually seems quite nice. Yeah, and you know, tr quite troubled, and yeah, yeah. with her probably more than anyone else in the film. Yeah, uh, I like yeah. that she's making a scrapbook about um, crimes she thinks her husband's committing, and just leaves it <laughs> lying about in the house. I mean, what I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 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 so yeah, it's, it's I mean, things like that. I think 
it, it kind of makes the film funny when um, what I do think is missing from this film is it, it did need more actual humour, intended humour. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, but with the cast it's got, they, they could have done that. But mm-hmm. I, I imagine it was low budget. I imagine it, it had a tight schedule. And Bruce Campbell no, said he, he said he didn't want to be there. And I think that shows with him as well. When yeah. you look at his performance. Um, so even though I enjoy it, I think maybe it's one of those that, and a lot of people my age who sort of know young probably the same, we, we liked it before we actually saw it. We liked the idea of it, we liked the cover, you know, and liked the fact that, you know, you, there was a lot of brutal kills and switch your brain off time, well, hey, I'm 12 and watching an 18. Um, yeah. But then when you think it's made, you know, a year after Robocop, around mm-hmm. the same time as when even some of the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street sequels were quite quite good at this this, this era. Well, and, and quite silly and kind of meta, right? I mean, I'm not yeah. sure that, you know, I don't know if like Jason Takes Manhattan or something is vastly superior to this, but I guess it's got jokes, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, this can't have been that far uh, removed. It was released to um, New Nightmare, for instance. Uh, New Nightmare was ninety four, so okay, so a little six bit years, before. yeah. But it was um, it was around the same time as um, Jason Takes Manhattan, but it was probably on the further the budget of that. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, so, Although, but the film that sometimes came to my mind was Basket Case. Have you seen that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been yeah, and Basket Case obviously is similarly low budget, but and it's a quite a nasty film. Not like a massive fan, but it does have quite a lot of jokes. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I'd say that's 50-50 horror comedy, that one. Um, yeah, that's whereas, Well, but then I think Maniac Cop would have worked better if it was the same, you know? Um, yeah. And with, with, a, with a, the title, Maniac Cop, you don't expect it to be as serious as it is, do you? Mm. Um, so, um, you know, and also, I, I keep sticking up for it, saying the budget, you don't particularly need a high budget to put some jokes in, do you? Um, no, I don't think they charge per joke or anything. No, nah, Head <laughs> has a surprising number of jokes. Yeah. That was low budget. <laughs> yeah, so um, it's, it's you know I, I think when they when they made this film, they were like, right, this is the concept. Let's do it as quickly as possible. It will sell. Um, mm. And they were lucky to get to get the cast they did. Um, and also, I'm quite surprised that um, Bruce Campbell was struggling for work because it wasn't that long after Evil Dead Two, which Hmm. It didn't take the box office by storm, but that's one of those films that's had its fan base ever since it came out, and was a film that people wanted to be made because it had the original was a cult film. Um, so I, I do find that quite strange. But then if you look through Bruce Campbell's career, it is a bit. It does almost yeah. look, look like he struggled to work, probably because he's been typecast. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's a and I, I just feel it's a missed opportunity having him in it, and then not pushing the fact he's in it mm-hmm. um and if you've seen the trailer um the voiceover at the end quite quickly says featuring bruce campbell from the evil dead sort of like that so it's like they've had a second thought and like ah people like that film that that's let's sell it on that and that's just possibly why i remember seeing the cover and stuff that's probably why i went back to it and i was like, a little bit older and i saw mm-hmm. it when i was right young and thought ah, that was all right and then go back ah bruce campbell's in it um, yeah, and he, he looks so young as well. That's weird. Um, but then, because this was sort of sandwiched between Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And um, Army of Darkness, I can remember seeing posters everywhere 
video shops had it out. There was the cardboard cutouts and that sort of thing of him with the chainsaw. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange career for him. And um, but yet, yeah, thank God he's had that career because I I think the world needs more Bruce Campbells personally. Um, but maybe that's just me. I, I just just love the guy. Uh, he's been he should be in every film in some capacity. Yeah. He's, he's in every Sam Raimi film in some capacity. Um, <laughs> all three Spider-Mans and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's one of those, it's a, it's a strange movie. And um, it's not too long before um, Sam Raimi done Darkman. And mm. I, I feel that this, could, you know, so, so Tam, Sam Raimi done a lot for this film. I think it would have helped if he directed and wrote it maybe. Um, but then I think he went on to do Darkman instead, or, you know, that was his top project. And then that bombed as well. Um, so it's a strange time for all their careers, and they all bounce back. Bruce Campbell, especially more recently with Ash vs. Evil Dead. Sam Raimi's gone on to be a massive director, isn't he? Um, he went from having several flops to somehow getting Spider-Man, then that was the Oz film, and seems to be really, you know, he's up there now with the names in horror. And then this is just sort of one of those films floating about that people have been involved with. Um, almost like um, Peter Jackson had that musical film he done, which no one mentions. Um, oh, Meet the Beatles? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And it's like whenever anyone mentions Peter Jackson, that never comes up. Um, and it's really that's hard to get. Uh, has anyone seen that one? Yeah, I mean, it's no brain dead or heavenly creatures. No. But you can say about any film, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so yeah, um, so yeah, it's one of those strange films, and I, I, th I think it's really interesting that it's getting rebooted. Um, it might be they're, they're running out of ideas. It, it certainly can't be because of the, as we mentioned before, what's going on politically at the moment. Um, so unless someone's a massive fan, I think they can do something with it. Um, but more likely, it's a name, and they reckon it will sell. Yeah. But would, would would any of you guys be watching a remake of this? Well, to be on, I probably would out of curiosity. Yeah. To see what they could do with it. I think it yeah. could actually be, has potential to be one of those films that you sit um, and watch with the intention of laughing at it, with it, uh, if, yeah. if it has some kind of humour and, you know, some, some witty remarks and, and you know. Yeah. Um, like, you know, some kind of quips or humorous asides, which it, it does really lack. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I get the feeling that it does think it's a funny film, but it's just not executed very well. Uh, I, I think Werner Herzog's remake of Bad Lieutenant with Nicolas Cage in a Bad Lieutenant port of call New Orleans is a better Maniac Cop than Maniac Cop. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, if they got Nicolas Cage involved in this, maybe, maybe that would work. Nicolas Cage in a remake, I mean, never, oh yeah, Wicker Man, let's not do that. Not, not getting involved in that. Uh, James, would you watch a remake of it? Yeah, as long as Bruce Campbell's in it. Also, yeah, put Nicolas Cage in it yeah. as well. I don't know whether he'd be the maniac cop. Maybe yeah. there'd be two maniac cops. <laughs> yeah. Maniac cop. Ah, yeah. Maniac cop. Just, just the maniac cop versus Robocop. You could do, yeah. you could do a crossover um, maniac kindergarten cop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> maniac kindergarten Robocop. Um, <laughs> Or, or get Sloan involved in Maniac Copland. That could work. Uh, so it is, there could be a, a Maniac Cop extended universe. See, we, I hope the makers are listening to this. Um, yeah, they will. Sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else are they going to be doing? Not making films. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's it's such a strange film, and I'm, I'll ask you for your for your ratings out of ten for it. I think this is going to be interesting. I'll start with Adam. Oh gosh, sorry, Andy. Um, <laughs> so go as low as you want. That's no, fine. Uh, just hovering under a three out of ten. Oh, oh, oh. So we'll go for two point seven. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And Antonia? Oh, I'm getting more harsh. I, I, I will say two and a half. What? Okay, I've got, we've got to watch the sequels. Because that's... You, you know, a harsh film. We need <laughs> more law. More the law. Of course. Ah, okay, this, this is strangely the first one I've ever done where everyone's gone under IMDb. Well, this has actually got <laughs> six, six out of ten on IMDb, which... Uh, I think w when I first saw this, this would have got a strong eight from me. But now it's got to be a six. Um, I was I was a three, and then I remembered the concrete bit, so now I'm a five. <laughs> You're five, okay. So yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I stood up the room and I clapped at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, yes. but, you know, I've, I've never never seen the sequels. Um, I do know that um, obviously Bruce Campbell isn't in the sequel. The other survivor, five and lead, is killed off really early in the sequel. Um, I was reading. Is, this thing, is it called Maniac Cop 2 Back in the Habit? <laughs> it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Control. Yeah, um, <laughs> their first assignment, probably. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they, they didn't make it to number seven, so they couldn't do Maniac Cop Mission to Moscow, which would be a must. But I mean, it, there's, it's a possibility it could still happen. It could. I mean, and it'll get a franchise and it'll be the biggest franchise we've ever seen. Yeah. People will see the positive vibes we've given from this review and go all go out and watch it. Um <laughs> this page so, is so good. Yeah, yeah. Cop, the yeah. two back of the book. <laughs> But um <laughs> as I say, I mean it, it's it is thirty two years old and it's it's available still on um did it, did you guys watch it on Shudder or something like that on Amazon Prime and um, yeah, it's on yeah. Shudder and I believe it's on uh, YouTube as well. Yeah, I don't know if it's on there legally. Um, oh, nice. um, <laughs> but um, you can probably pay to watch on there. But it's um, there's a special edition Arrow Blu-ray out of it. Um, you know, so it, it, there is the market for it. People are, are still paying to watch it. So there's got to be something about it. But possibly it is the, the people we see on the screen. It's, Bruce Campbell's got that appeal, hasn't he? So um, maybe people will look him up on IMDb and go, that one's got a scary looking couple, we'll have that. Um, yeah. So um, I'd, I'd like to apologise to you all for making you watch it, uh, <laughs> apart, apart from the concrete scene, obviously. Um, tough, yeah. I'm going to watch that bit. <laughs> um, but to be honest, uh, um, I've probably recommended worse films for all of you. So um, thanks a lot for, for taking part. Um, and don't, and you, can all, you can always throw films at me. Um, that I can watch and talk about, but they have to be made between 1980 and 1999. Uh, uh, the Drifting Classroom. The what and what wing? What? The Japanese film, The Drifting Classroom. Is this a silly film? Uh, yeah, well, yes. It's, it's, I, I don't know if I'd consider it quite a pop popcorn classic, but you never know. Okay, well, what I'll do... He's got the same composer as did the music for a lot of Marzaki's early films, like Nausicaa, so it's got that going for it. Okay, well, I'll look it up and I'll watch it, and I'll mention on another podcast what I think. Um, <laughs> awesome. Um, do you reckon I'll like it? I, th I think you will probably find things to like about it, to be honest. 
it's kind of what I do with films, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but anyway, fa- thanks a lot. Thanks for doing this. Um, hopefully get you all back another time and um, maybe we can do it in person because this Zoom thing has freaked me out a bit, I think. I will Aww. be honest. But um, thanks a lot. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thank you, James. And um, I'm going to, it's nearly Thank Christmas, so, so I'm going to buy you some concrete and you can do with it what you will. Well, there you go. As you can see, uh, I, I don't think it works so well over Zoom. But um, Drifting Classroom, interesting film. I watched it not long after that, and then we recorded a little chat about that movie. And um, we'll put it out now here for you as a kind of a bonus section. First time we've ever done two films. I think we will stick to just doing one film per show in future, but this is a special one. So here you go. This is a conversation I had with Adam about that little gem of a movie. Okay, so I've just watched The Drifting Classroom from 1987, a film that was uh, recommended to me by Adam. Um, so we're doing this, this conversation the other way around. This is a film that he enjoyed. Um, well, did you enjoy, enjoy it growing up? Is it one you grew up watching? Or No, sad, sadly not. Um, although, obviously, it is a kid's film of sorts. Um, <laughs> I, know, yeah. I mean, I, I came to it, there's either two ways I could have come to it, and I can't remember which one. Uh, I definitely read the manga first um, by Kazuo Umezu. Um, it's probably his most famous manga. So he was a um, boys manga coon. So, you know, he wrote manga for teenage boys, adolescent boys. Um, He's quite an eccentric personality, like he's still alive, he must be in his 80s now, and he's got this um, kind of characteristic, like where's Wally look, with some mad frazzled hair. And he crops up actually in, um, I think it's like Tokyo Zombie or all, all sorts of films, like he'll um, crop up in doing little cameos. Um, but he's sort of known for his gross out comedy and also his horror um i'm a big fan of the final series he did after the drifting classroom called 14 uh which is even stranger than the drifting classroom really is quite possibly unfilmable i don't know i'd love to see a film of it um it's about this uh mad scientist chicken hybrid called chicken george um it's great so I'd read The Drifting Classroom, which is quite long. There's a lot of volumes of it. Um, and I'd also previously seen um, a more famous film by the same director, Nobuhiku Abayashi, A House or House, which is the one he's really known for, which was a few years earlier uh, from 1977. Uh, have you seen House? I, I, thinking about it, I think I have. Is that... Um... The uh, sort of schoolgirls go to a house, um, and it's really bizarre, um, almost surreal. There's a bit of animation in it and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the one. Where she keeps playing the piano. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I watched that um, last lockdown, actually. It was one of the films oh, no. recommended to me. And I, I did really enjoy it, but yeah, it was bizarre. Um, yeah, it's got a madcap, and it's got that kind of visual collage style to it. Um, Interestingly, apparently that was created that um, 
Kobayashi had worked in advertising before then, and he'd made some experimental short films. And basically, uh, the studio uh, wanted him to recapture the success of Jaws. So they basically wanted him to make the Japanese equivalent of Jaws. And he said, and I read that he, he didn't really have any ideas on how to do this, and so turned to his young preteen daughter, who's like, you know, six or seven at this point, uh, and basically asked her for ideas and then wrote the film, the screenplay around her ideas, okay. um, which is why it's really incoherent and odd. Yeah. Um, so again, more recently, that, um, there was the, that mega flop, the, was it Monster Truck? When it based oh, on yeah. sort of an idea from the producer's sort of three-year-old, <laughs> so well, we could have trucks that are monsters, and it, they took it from there. And yeah. the film came, it, it's it really bombed. They they lost millions on it, um, but it was actually quite enjoyable because it's that stupid. Um, <laughs> but, but with House, I was confused. With um, there was the eighties horror series, wasn't there? House. Mm, yeah. And when yeah. someone recommended, I sort of went, "Well, I've seen it," and I, I had to look into it and see. There yeah, no, I've noticed a lot. Yeah. Um, people yeah mixing the two up as well but yeah um to me drifting classroom strikes me as an attempt at a more commercial film uh, you might have noticed watching it that they got sponsorship from mcdonald's yes um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the very front and central mcdonald's product placement in the film yeah it's um, um and it's sort of uh, every time there's like a a, a drink whatever the logo's face in the camera i noticed that a lot in it um and you, mostly you get that in adam sandler films is how yeah. I know. there's a scene in an adam sandler film where they're in the cinema and everybody's coke is faced forward in the <laughs> i was just like this is so obvious but i mean in the 80s i suppose um it was less less acceptable to do that i mean um nowadays you can you can sort of properly do product placement can't you but back yeah then, I don't, don't well, I think it was part of this arrangement by which <laughs> McDonald's provided all the catering for the film shoot. So I've read there's um, some great pieces, I think on YouTube you can find it, and someone did an interview with him. Um, but the guy who plays Kenny, who's the one black kid amongst the classroom, amongst the class, um, and uh, his name is Arthur Johnson. And yeah, Arthur Johnson has some great anecdotes about the making of this film. Uh, one of which was that they ate McDonald's on set every single day. <laughs> it was a way to encourage the kids to, to, to be there, I suppose, and to, to act. But um, do you want to just quickly summarise the, the, the plot for um, yeah. anyone who, if anyone hasn't seen it? Um, yeah, okay. So the plot of The Drifting Classroom, um, this is true of both the manga and the film, is that there is a young school kid called Show who one morning has uh, an argument with his mother, who he's very close to, but they have this pretty nasty argument and he goes off to school in a huff. And it just so happens that on that day, there's what seems like an earthquake. Uh, it turns out not to be just a straightforward earthquake like you get in Japan, but a um, time quake um, which seems to be some kind of slip in space and time. And the classroom, the drifting classroom of the title, finds itself relocated uh, many thousands of years into a desolate post-human future. Um, the adult teachers 
uh, fail completely to adapt to this, um, either managing to kill themselves or just losing their minds um, really pretty quickly. Um, and so it ends up being a bit Lord of the Flies like, you know, and the kids um, kind of trying to survive, um, separating off into different factions and uh, all sorts of uh, extreme climate events before them, some of which you get in the film, uh, you know, they have to sort of face, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a sort of desert landscape they've been thrust into in the future. Uh, there are these strange, I don't know, insectoid, I don't know, insectoid reptile-like creatures. You think they're aliens at first, but clearly they're just the next species that have evolved and replaced humans as the dominant life form. Um, they kind of fight against them at first. Uh, a lot of kids die. Um, I think more, a lot of the manga is given up to kids dying in some pretty upsetting ways for, um, for a manga that was, you know, yeah. seemingly yeah. intended for children. Yeah, so there are some moments of horror. There's certainly a lot of peril in the film, but it's a lot less explicitly gory than the manga is. Yeah. Uh, which I think is good, to be honest. Uh, the manga is quite disturbing this way. Um, but yeah, the um, fair number of the kids die. Um, and all this time, there's this sort of odd telepathic. Basically, like mothers, the mother's love is taken really seriously in the manga and this film. Like, yeah. the love of a good mother can transcend all space and time. So somehow Sho's mother is able to not only communicate with him, but send him objects. I mean, in the film at least, she's kind of frozen these objects into the pit where the classroom once was and they appear. I don't really understand how she does this at all in the manga. But anyway, she manages to help out her son when, when he needs her. Um, and yeah, it sort of follows, mainly focused on Sho through these trials and tribulations. Um, in the film, there's a lot made of this character called Mark, who uh, is played by a <laughs> who seems to be a lot older than all the other kids. Um, and, you know, he, he's, he's the antagonist of the thing, really. He's like show, show's enemy, really. I mean, he gets a bit redeemed, I guess, by the end of the film. Um, they have a proper fight at one, a proper school that yeah, the meet you outside type fight, don't they? Um, yeah, yeah, it's a proper nasty scuffle. <laughs> yeah. um, and Mark in the film is always carrying this yellow football thing, <laughs> like all the time. And yeah. he just talks internally about his big game. Like while everyone else is like starving to death and dehydrating, Mark's like, oh, it was supposed to be my big game. What about my big game? Um, oh, yeah. Really irritating kid. <laughs> Well, but he's supposed to be there, isn't he? So he, yeah. he was about <laughs> was about thirty. Um. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so any, any, anyway, um, lot, lots of the kids die, um, but actually by the end of it, they managed to kind of form a functional community. Um, Show's mother is sort of placated somehow, and knows that her son's doing well, and by the end of it, they're all living quite happily, and even have made paint, uh, made peace with the kind of arachnid yeah. alien reptile things and are seemingly living in harmony with them which is quite nice is, is it in the manga does it carry on is this like the intro um no. so, I, so i kind of pictured it as it's 
almost ends like there could be a series of films. Um, and it actually reminded me of, you remember the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon? When they're yeah, sort of in a different, and, yeah. and they're trying to get out. And I thought maybe the books were like that, as like them continuing to find their way home. Not really, to be honest. I mean, the manga, it does sort of finish where the film finishes. It's just there's a lot more in terms of trials and tribulations. Yeah. You know, like, like there are a lot more in the way of dangers they have to overcome. Um, and certain scenes in that, you know, take place in five minutes in the film, uh, you know, take a whole volume or two in the manga. So, for instance, the bit when they kind of go out uh, exploring into the desert and come across the time magic, like the really weird scene, like that takes a, quite a long time in the manga, like this whole expedition, the kids are gone for a long time. And then by the time Sho and his group go back to the school, like things have really changed and they won't immediately let Sho back into the school. Um, a lot more is made of like the different factions yeah. and the way the kids turn against each other. Um, so yeah, the film is basically just like a massively condensed version. Yeah. Do, do you think they've obviously been a fan of the of the manga? Do you think they've done a good job with it? Um, okay, kind of. I kind of think they did. Now a lot. The impression I've got is that a lot of fans of the manga hate the film. All right. Okay. Like okay. really don't like the film. Um, and I think that's because people seem to take the manga quite seriously. And it is pretty gripping. And if you're invested in these kids surviving, I can see why, why you would. And I think people feel that the film, you know, kind of doesn't take it, that kind of makes it this ridiculous, kind of awkwardly acted thing out of a good manga. But the thing is, the manga's, It's pretty brat batshit to begin with, to be honest. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and, and also, like, Umezu's drawing style is really naive. Like, if you look up, it, if you look up the manga, like, he's good at backgrounds, but the way he draws characters is really odd. They're always really stiff, and they always have really exaggerated expressions. Like, the kids, like, got their mouths open in shock, like, every yeah. other panel. Um, <laughs> like it looks really silly, um, and as I said, like Imezu, if you look at him, say like this is Scarecrow wears Wally, he is not a guy who takes himself very seriously. Like, um, did you know his thoughts on the film? No, I don't. I'd be really interested, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I find with um, sort of live action from from anime mangas and stuff. They are really hit and miss, but you've got to take them for what they are. And um, mm. the same, same with any adaptation, really, I suppose. And I think for me, it, it probably helped not not re reading the um, the manga because I had nothing to compare yeah. it to. And it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's got a real sort of 80s family film feel about it as well, even though it, it is quite dark. But then when you go back, back then, films like The Goonies are darker than you remember them being. Mm. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I'd, if I had kids, I'd have no worries about them seeing this. Um, yeah, well, I think, like, the 80s family, I find that's what I find so fascinating about kind of 80s films. And obviously, this is a, well, a Japanese co-production, you know, there's film that's of international, like, an army school. Well, not army school, you know, a, a school for kids of members of the army, yeah, basically. Yeah. So that's why you have some of the kids talking in Japanese, some of the kids talking in English, and 
obviously some of them could speak better English than others, which does mean it's pretty awkward. Like the quality of acting is yeah. wildly variable. Um, but I find that quite charming, like, because it's about these kind of kids thrust into this, you know, really overwhelming, weird situation. Like the fact that a lot of the kids are quite awkward yeah. kind of works for me. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but it, it, the, the, you should mention that the range in the actability between the kids, there's quite a difference in it, isn't there? So it's sort of the main ones, really good actors, but, hmm. you know, and then, but that's, that, you, you'll get that in any film when there's loads of kids, won't you? Um, yeah, but, yeah. but also I did find it really interesting that it's pretty much 50-50 English and Japanese, which you don't yeah, see, and, see that often. Yeah, and the English uh, dialogue is obviously subtitled in Japanese. Yeah. Um, I had to watch the first few minutes again because I didn't put the uh, English subtitles on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, because yeah. I, I just I thought that maybe the first few minutes, you, you, it doesn't matter what they say and then it will all be in English. I just assumed it would be in English for some reason even though it was based on, I think it's because I looked it up and it was a part American production, wasn't it, like you said? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I, I couldn't find much info about it online. I just had a quick look and there's not much on IMDb. But the first um, review on IMDb is one of the kids himself reviewing it. Um, yeah. Quite interesting. And um, he speaks of it fondly, but only gives it like a six out of ten, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, that's interesting. It, I, I get the feeling that it was quite for its time, fairly big budget, was it? Or I, I, I get that impression as well. I mean, it's definitely a very limited location. Like, I understand it was basically filmed in a big kind of um, aircraft hangar, which they just filled up with sand. Um, <laughs> and then obviously yeah. there's lots of matte painting backdrops. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's a really low budget. There's a fair amount of special effects. Obviously there's the, uh, the alien puppets. Yeah. Yeah, which, um, um, which I, I really like. I mean, it, the charm of the film, a lot of the charm is the practical special effects. I mean, nowadays it would all be CGI, wouldn't it? And um, just just not as not as fun. I don't imagine. I mean, I, I think if this was made now, it would be there'd be more special effects, more aliens, but they wouldn't look as cool. I don't think. And that, that might just be my opinion of you know. I grew up loving Jim Henson yeah. stuff, you know. Um, yeah, but I think it. it the fact it was made in the eighties um, helps it for me anyway. Um, you've got that feel. Um, I did love the bit at the beginning as well when they burst into song. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So they burst into song a couple of times, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So they burst into song. This is not a full-on musical, but there are two kind of musical numbers. There's the one when um, the teacher uh, is getting married, and now one of the kids overhears that she's getting married, yeah. and then they kind of do this wedding march thing where they're like, nah, 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 but they start really going for it. And like, you know, they back one. You got one of the kids taking a violin and playing the melody on that. And you then have some of the kids breaking out into dance. And that's when the earthquake hits. As one of the, one of the children sort of being passed over the heads of the other children <laughs> and then there's earthquake or time quake hits and she just spins around you get this bizarre i don't know if it's like a video editing effect or optical printing or what it's like this sort of almost like a cutout it's not really superimposition it's like a cutout of her flying around um like a, a propeller and then she flies out of the window <laughs> yeah. 
But it was, it was that, that point that I thought, is it going to be a musical? And um, for another 10 minutes, I was sort of waiting for another song. Um, mm. But I like that. I mean, there's uh, um, a few films where there's just one. So they used to back in the day, back in, if you watch an old Norman Wisdom film or something, or, <laughs> there'd just be like one random song in it. And then well, there's that later bit which I really like, which is like a sort of Yankee Doodle medley. Yeah, yeah, that's two thirds away through the film, isn't it? Yeah, all like, and they all sort of sing slightly different children's songs, and then some of them are singing in Japanese and some of them are singing in English, and so they're all overlapping, and it becomes really chaotic. Yeah, but it's um, it's scenes like that, the, the sort of different the weirdness of it, what makes it memorable, I think. Um, yeah, and that's why I mean, I was so surprised. Like I said, when I looked on IMDb and. It got fairly, I think it got sort of five point something. Um, but yeah. the fact that not many people have actually reviewed it. Um, yeah, it's really weird. It's like, it does seem strange that it's not a cult classic. You know, it's not one that's been re-released or, you know, um, remastered by Arrow or, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe if uh, Tartan was still, still around. Yeah. You know, maybe it's the kind of thing that they would have released. Yeah, I mean... It, the, the fact that I think it was um, in the last few years they've re-released uh, House like a special mm. edition um, yeah and um, I thought it was, I, I, expect, I, I didn't look it up properly until I'd watched it um, and I expected you know a few thousand at least people to have, have scored it on IMDB and this sort of but yeah. there were things a couple of hundred which is rare and then there just wasn't much info on it I couldn't see how much yeah. it made or you know um, I don't I don't even know if it would have got a cinema release in this country, um, but I couldn't find out. Do you see what I mean? Um, but um, did you did you have to track the film down then, or did you randomly come across it? Um, so there was for a while, like it's probably still on YouTube, a kind of edited sort of best of, like there's a sort of um, you know 17 minute supercut of the funniest or weirdest bits of the film, as um, it has things like you know. Mark talking to Troy Donahue, you know, as uh, Taggart, um, and then kicking his football out into space. Um, you know, it has the time magic bit when one of them is reduced to a skeleton and falls into a kind of black hole. Um, and then, yeah, I had to, I think I got it, like twisted nerve or something, or some kind of, you know, dubiously, you know, borderline legal, but, you know, like DVD company I found online who, you know, there's lots of rather mucky looking Japanese pink films and stuff, but then also some obscure like cult classics. And yeah. my DVD of it um, is actually a far worse quality than the version that's now on YouTube. So yeah. it was definitely a VHS rip. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. So that that's how I watched it. And... You know, I really liked it. Well, I found it really fascinating. Um, it's so it's such an unusual film, and I did find it quite charming in its weird way. Yeah, um, I mean, that's one of those films that when it finished, I wanted to find out more about it. You know, what I mean, mm. um, and with a yeah, I say good film, an enjoyable film. Yeah, I, I always want to do that with you know, uh, find out the people behind it. And um, you know, most of the actors are only credited for being in. The, well, the kids, anyway, for being in that, a few have gone off to do some other things. Yeah, I mean, the biggest star in it is Troy Donoghue. Yeah. Obviously, he mm -hmm. yeah. did various sort of 
B-movies. And... Yeah, yeah, he's one of those just familiar faces as well, isn't he? He pops up in a lot, or did. Um, and uh, that's the thing, maybe that's another reason that it's kind of forgotten, is that, you know, often with, with films, um, these 80s films with kids in or whatever, someone's gone on to be a star. And then you, mm. you go back to it and they're remembered for that. There's um example I can think of is the BMX Bandits film with um, Nicole Kidman. I don't think people would really remember that if she didn't go on to be the big star. Um, yeah. And um, it, it's a shame because it's, it's, like you say, it, it's perfect. It was perfect for this podcast because it's, it should have been a cult film, I yeah. think. And, um, but then I suppose, I mean, the fact that you found it and like it, I bet other people do as well. But then it might get the negativity from the, the manga fans. So yeah, some would I mean, be put off it. I think that's exactly it. And it is odd because, like, Obayashi is not a completely obscure unknown director. Like, as you said, Pulse recently got a lovely special edition um, and is a you know, pretty well-known Japanese cult classic. Um, you know, he continued making films right up to a couple of years ago. He, he died in April this year. Um, and, you know, he was still making films recently. Like, I've seen um, Hanagatomy which was from 2017, which is a really interesting film. It's a semi-autobiographical, um, much less manic than like House or Drifting Classroom, um, but still very stylized. You know, it's still recognizably one of his films. Um, and that, that was on Mubai. Um, yeah, really. So, you know, some of his other films are a bit better known, but not The Drifting Classroom. Um, I mean, it's got that, um, even though it's a kid's film, you can tell he's, the way, a lot of it, that he's from a sort of horror background. Um, yeah. In a way that, you know, um, when you watch a Joe Dante film, you know, because he's m most well known for, say, Gremlins, but he's from proper horror, you know, he's done The Howling and stuff like that. And you can, later on in his career, when he, when he went on to do things like Small Soldiers, you, he's got that horror feel to it. And I think, that works and kids like that. So that's why I think possibly why they went for him for, for this film. Yeah, it has that slight edginess, like frisson, you know, like that, that yeah. slight feeling of, oh, yeah, it's a bit ooky. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing that's changed from the manga, and I don't know if it's like, a joke or that because sometimes Japanese humor can get lost in translation yeah. um, or I don't know if it's of Abayashi kind of overemphasizing a theme that is in the manga because there is a lot of weird infantile energy in Umezu's stuff like you could definitely do interesting Freudian readings of his manga and there's a lot about mother love in, in that manga um, but like in the opening scene, show basically gropes his mother. And, you know, is really pouring her. And like, oh, my dear sweet mummy, and things. And she has to cut him off. And, and he's naked. And yeah. that's not in the manga at all. Uh -huh. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't quite know what it's doing there, but I think it's probably meant to be funny. Yeah, it's, um, it's, just, it's strange that you had something like that is something they add in. It's, um, yeah. um, I mean, I do know that from my, you know, from what I've watched of, of sort of Japanese 
media and sort of anime that, that nudity and child nudity can be taken, you know, that's used as a funny thing. Um, and I don't even feel like it's being sexualized in the film, it's just sort of there. Um, but, you know, he, yeah, it's really odd, the whole thing with his mother. Because yeah, because <laughs> it's right at the beginning of the film, and it, it was at that point, I'm like, is this a kid's film? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, um, and, but you know, so I think it probably is lost in translation. It's that, um, it's just different culture, isn't it? Um, yeah. But that, that are... might be another reason why in this country it's, it's not sort of... Yeah. I mean, there are a few moments of just... And I think, I think it's also, it's a sort of toilet humour thing, right? Or a kind of like, like, so... <laughs> the, the, alien, the little cute alien they find wheeze on the kids and <laughs> they 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 creatively drink the wee because obviously they're really dehydrated which makes sense you know I, I, I'm not too much of the same but <laughs> it's but, quite uh, yeah. yeah but again no. I do wonder if this is just you know is just a joke basically yeah but I like the, um, the the sort of alien, almost like mascot for them who it became, you know. Um, yeah, I guess so. And, like uh, and that's the sort of that's a sellable, you know. Nowadays you'd be getting toys of that sort of thing, and that uh, <laughs> you know, um, and that, that 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 sort of gave it that sort of eighties, almost batteries not included kind of charm to it as well, mm. you know. Um, and it, you know. It, to me, it, it, it felt like a lot of the, even though it was mad, there was parts of it, it really felt like an 80s Hollywood, mm. almost Spielberg-esque in, in some parts with the characters. And um, and it's, it's kind of almost, you know, the um, more recently, it's a kind of mad offshoot that someone like uh, Luke Besson might might do. Because he's yeah. you know, known for sort a good of bigger budget, and then he does a bizarre sort of fantasy film. Um, and I think it's it's one of those that, you know, they, they could, you know, I said it of its time worked as 80s. If it got in the right hands, you know, they, they could redo this and it do quite well. Yeah, uh, I absolutely agree. Because obviously there's been a lot of um, young adult or teen uh, dystopian survival stuff, right? You know, obviously Maze Runner, um, Hunger Games, etc. Yeah. Yeah, and um, even um, you know, Battle Royale a few years before that. Yeah. Um, was that based on a manga as well? Battle Royale? Uh, no, I think with Battle Royale, I might be wrong, but I think actually the manga came afterwards. After, yeah, yeah. so that's what I thought. But, uh, yeah, I yeah. Don't know. Um, but it, it had a bit of that feel, but um, obviously not as violent and um, you know, more, of a, more of a sci-fi element to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it's the sort of thing that I think a modern audience could could like you know the, the like you say the the mage runner that sort of um yeah which every few years there's another one come out isn't there so it would, it would like be a modern, a modern version would be less charming though i think yeah, it, well, would yeah, be, yeah. it would yeah. be less weird um there'd be less practical special effects and i think it would take itself too seriously you know what i like about the drifting classroom is yeah you know we're meant to invest in these kids and take the peril seriously but you can tell that Obayashi is also having quite a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, yeah, I don't think um, you could get away in a family film with killing as many kids and teachers and stuff now. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I, I also, 
I do want to mention that how good I think the soundtrack is. Yeah, yeah. Which is gorgeous. <laughs> like yeah. I listened yeah. to the soundtrack on its own several times. So I think it's really pretty. Yeah. Um like sometimes incongruously so, like sometimes, you know, there are these sort of scenes and like in the fight scene, you've got this really kind of gorgeous, wistful music going on. Um, which yeah. is quite strange. But yeah. um it's, it's, the music it does sort of stand out and um it's one of those that it gives a total different feel to the film. Yeah, it's it's not a generic soundtrack, basically. No. Um, and um, that that that's what I like. I remember, what's the, there's someone on the end credits because it, it was a week ago now I watched it actually. Um, but I remember the, the very last song kind of stood out. I can't think for me why. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I know that the soundtrack was by the same composer who did Marzaki's early films. So it's the same composer as Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just got the feeling it was an actual song at the end, but maybe my, like I say, I was, oh, no, no, it, it might well be. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Honest, uh, yeah. I do know that the soundtrack was by the same person who did Nausicaa. Yeah. Is the um, soundtrack um, commercially available then? Or did, did you just find out? Uh, I mean, someone. I think it actually was released as a CD. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've listened to it on YouTube. It's on just uploaded yeah. the soundtrack, um, and yeah, it's very much like an eighties synthesizer music, yeah. uh, but quite kind of soft and wistful. Um, yeah, 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 it's really my kind of thing musically. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one of those. You know, you could, you could be, we mentioned about, you know, how it hasn't had a special edition, but there could be loads of stuff, including the soundtrack to go along with this. Yeah. Oh, so I'd love a special edition. Like, because, yeah. you know, it sounds like it was quite fun making it and the kids have had some quite interesting anecdotes, you know, about the production of it. Um, like, you know, reading and watching this um, YouTube interview with uh, the guy who plays Kenny, like he talks about how uh, he was literally picked up by the production team on the way to school. Like literally, a car, to, you know, slowed down next to him, walking to school, and said, "Hey, you know, hey kid, you want to be in a movie?" And they were, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a stranger danger. It, well, depending on how you feel about the film, I guess. Um, <laughs> it, it was a real movie production team, yeah. um, and. Yeah, you know, it talks about how you know they ate McDonald's and such, and yeah. it seems like actually the kids had a good time making this film, um, which I think comes across. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, a special edition DVD could definitely have, you know, reminiscences. You know, following up with with you know what's happened with with the kids now, yeah. because obviously I don't think any of them sort of became actors. Um, you could have stuff about. The differences and similarities to the manga um, and that, that's the thing the fact that it's based on a manga usually um and no matter how badly the movies do or poorly received they're usually like quite commercially available it's like the um the death note live action films but slightly yeah. no, nobody like them but you can still pick them up on dvd in any hmv or whatever um and i, I think they would have been a call for this because of fans of the manga unless it's just hated that much. Yeah. I can't. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine. Yeah. You know, if, if the only faults with it, if you're, I haven't read it, but is yeah. if it's too different, you know. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe something will happen with it soon. I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. a couple, couple of years off. Um, 
35 years old, isn't it? So there might be a... Yeah. I mean, you know, with, with the death of the director, I did wonder if there would be yeah. kind of, you know, BAFI retrospective or something. Um, you know, certainly his later films, the films he made over the last decade, were pretty critically acclaimed and taken fairly seriously. So I did hope that that would lead to some kind of reappraisal. Because, um, yeah, I don't know, I, I think, I guess, you know, I tend to, I don't tend to go in for realism, especially not in kids' films. And I really like all the kind of painted backdrops and how stylized it all is. And, like, it gets really kind of abstract in places. Like, some of the camera movement gets really fast and loose, right? Like, in moments of drama, the camera's all over the place and, you know, like, you know, yeah. it's being knocked about and... Yeah, and I like the fact that it's willing to move into those kind of spaces. Yeah, I mean, and when you think about it, there's a, um, it looks great, the film's great, and we mentioned the music and stuff, but if you were to watch this as a kid, I, I can't see you not loving it, because it's the whole, you know, the teachers die, the kids take <laughs> over, you know, um, and it's fun. There's a fair bit of sort of, I don't have a word for it, is action, but I suppose it is, you know, um, just an enjoyable if i was sort of seven or eight i think i'd have really loved it mm. and and um the sort of film that when i was that age it might have appeared on tv in an afternoon or something a lot yeah. of these sort of and i think it would have stuck with people and yeah. so yeah. that might i mean i don't know what the dis distribution was like when it was released but i've never mm. i've never actually heard of it until you mentioned it yeah i think and, it must have been quite a limited yeah. distribution like yeah i say it I must try to find out more about it. But as you say, it's, it's hard to research. Yeah. Like, you know, when I first watched it, I found it so fascinating. I wanted to read more. And all I could find were these people of interviews with, you know, some of the kids who'd been in it. Yeah. Um, maybe, yeah, I might get on Twitter and start tw tweeting about it and the film company, that sort of thing, do some tagging and see if I can get any more. Or, or, or you know, see... see you know, nowadays you can, with the internet, you can access it. There must be fan pages for it and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's a matter of yeah. finding them, I suppose. Um, you know, it's like, it's just bizarre to me that it's not a bigger film. Even and, in and a, really, yeah. Yeah, um, even for people who, who wouldn't like it, it's the sort of film that you can talk about, you know. Um, and weirdly, additionally, there's an American TV film of it. All right. Uh, what, uh, in Brazil, which I haven't seen. Okay. Um, did you, where did that come out? Let's see if I can. Um, but not that long after, uh, you know, around around the same time. So, like, uh, I was uh, quite surprised yeah. that yeah, maybe you know, um, they pushed at the time the American version more. Then. Um, oh, it was a bit later. Yeah, Drifting School, nineteen ninety-five. Okay. Um, so yeah, but that's that's the thing because it, it's not just a classroom of drifts, is it? It's it's, it's about um, yeah, it's a part of the school. Um, that freaked yeah. me a bit. But um, so I suppose there is another version. I'll see if I can track that back. But, Maybe. but it looks quite so. The the ninety five one it says um, the film is about aliens coming to Earth and a drifting school student Kenny Smith has to save the world before everyone on Earth dies. So it feels like they've kind of made the, the narrative more conventional. Yeah. Um, yeah, very sounds like it's very loosely based on it. Um, but then, I mean that. Yeah, I don't suppose that that being eight years later would affect the, um, 
effect of the you know the release or how well this film done. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's one that you know there's, there's I only found one poster for the film. I couldn't see any pictures of you know VHS copies or anything like that. Um, but then you know it is out there. The fact that we're talking about it says that other people might you know. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one that yeah I will go back and watch. And it's um, for anyone listening, it is on YouTube. I don't know if it's <laughs> legally on there or not. Um, but I'm very anti sort of piracy and that sort of thing. But if you can't watch it anywhere else. Yeah. Which it doesn't look like you can. I couldn't find it on Prime or anything like that, and I'd be perfectly willing to rent it, sort of thing. But um, oh yeah, same same here. I mean, you know, it's a film I'd, you know, I don't buy so many DVDs and import, but I really would snap up a, a, separate, a special edition of this. Yeah. Um, I just find it fascinating. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's such a kind of visually interesting film that you really do want to see it in good quality. Yeah. Um, it flies by as well. And it's only it's about an hour forty, isn't it? Flying, yeah. And it, it really doesn't even feel that long. But I think it's because so much happens in it. <laughs> yeah, it's dense. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's. I think that's a good link. So it's another thing with more modern films, like you know, you said Hunger Games and stuff. They're all sort of two, well over two hours, aren't they? Um, mm. And I think for this, it's, it's part of the the charm is it's sort of it's over before you can always take it in. You know. Um, yeah. But it's, it's definitely one I'll go back to, and I think it, it'll probably want, be one that I enjoy more of each watch. Yeah, I, I found that. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it is quite tonally, not incoherent, but it does jump around in tone, which is not, I quite like films that do that. Um, you know, it has its messy elements, but actually, I think more times, you know, that was probably my third or f maybe fourth, I think maybe fourth time of watching it. And actually, the more times I've watched it, the more I've seen how how it ties together, and and actually it is I think more coherent than yeah. it first seems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that's another thing with with kids' films. I mean, I don't know if it's the same with kids now, but when I was a kid, if I liked a film, I would watch it over and over. Mm. And I think that with a film like this, it's good because there is a lot for it, especially youngsters to take in. So I think they'd go back to it and then enjoy it, enjoy it more, and it's got that that thing about it opposed to a more simple structured film um, yeah. whereas you know kids would get bored where like, I couldn't imagine anyone be like we're not can't imagine anyone being bored during this film yeah yeah it definitely keeps on your toes and like it has all this kind of cross-cutting between you know Chloe's mother and so what's happening in the past and you know the different students at the school and at first you've got quite a lot of teachers as well um so, yeah, you know, there is a lot, a lot to it, really. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I think often, like, the films, especially, I guess, kind of kids' films or films of that period that I'm really fond of, like, somehow the elements that would normally detract or I normally see as, you know, not so good or kind of shoddy, like, weirdly add to it. So, like here, for instance, I really do think that the slightly amateur acting from a lot of the kids actually makes the film kind of more charming. Um, and like just the way everything feels pretty unreal and like the painted backdrops don't look that realistic actually kind of adds to it rather yeah. than taking away from it. Yeah. Like, it reminds me in that way of Paper House, which I don't know, which Mike Rose before he did um, Handyman. 
Okay. Um, yeah, that's how I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Mm, I yeah. I was, um, yeah. I was watching um, some of the special features on Candyman recently and that's, that came up. So that's, that's why that was brilliant, but I've never seen it. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. I really like Neighbours. And that's another film that on some level is quite flawed. It's got a pretty weird soundtrack and like the acting is quite mannered, but actually because it's about a girl, you know, it's, it's set in, in this character's dreams mostly like those kind of awkward elements of it actually make it seem more dreamlike yeah, yeah. and that's the same thing with the drifting classroom like i think like the awkward bits actually kind of add to it and make it yeah. memorable like i'm kind of glad it's not really smooth <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's, it's, it's strange because you say about how the backdrops and that don't look particularly real or whatever but it, it doesn't it's got that sort of charm to it but it doesn't look cheap does it it's, no, I suppose, no, I it, I suppose it's because yeah, we're aware it's nearly thirty-five years old. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, I mean, you know, some of the Canon films that were really low budget didn't look it, did they? You know, so no, I, might have that sort of. Um, I was, I was, yeah, I was it's fine, right? Like, no films need to look real. Like, yeah. Oz in The Wizard of Oz never really looks real. No, like, no, yeah. Or obviously painted backdrops, but. That doesn't mean you don't accept it as the film's reality. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got to, yeah, understand what they're doing. It's like this afternoon, actually, I watched um, Destroyal Monsters, the 60s Godzilla film. And I oh, hadn't yeah. seen that for probably 30 years since I was a kid. And I remember as a kid, it worked. It didn't feel like blokes in suits knocking paper buildings over. Um, but I watch it now, and that's the first thing I noticed. So with a kid's film, I think most kids... The imaginations will, mm. you know, they'll perceive it as how it's supposed to be. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Like, like with Godzilla, when I watched that, that would have been a good 20 something years old then, you know, so it, the, the effects wouldn't have been up to scratch with the stuff that was coming out then. But I didn't care. And I don't think, yeah, show this to a youngster now that they don't care about the quality of special effects, they care about how fun the film is, you know? Yeah, I bet George would love to be just in a film. Right. <laughs> And Antonia's son, like, I think we should get them to talk to her. Yeah, that's a, that'd be good, get, get him to review it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but what, um, what rating would you give it out of five then? Out of five, did you yeah, say? I think that's how we usually, yeah, we'll say out of five. No, yeah. I would give it... No, let's, do out, let's do it out of ten, because I think that's what we usually do. Sorry, I got, <laughs> got, got confused. Okay, uh, out, out of ten, I would give it seven, I think. Um, yeah. You know, it's not... not a perfect film by any means, but I really like it. Like, yeah. um, it's one of those, it, it is a flawed film, but I think that's half the, the appeal, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, what yeah, about I mean, you? Um, I, I'd probably say about the same as seven, but it's a, yeah. if I'd have seen it when I was younger, I, I imagine it would be on the sort of I'd probably eight or nine if I'd have grown <laughs> yeah, up loving yeah. it, yeah. I mean, um, and it's, it's one I definitely want to watch again, and maybe the rating will go up, <laughs> you know. If I, even when I rewatch it, um, and it's it's just one of those interesting, and you, you do you're sort of thinking about it for a while after, and you're like, and it was almost a, when it ended, I was like, did I just watch that? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, but that, that's the thing, and maybe you know, maybe one of the reasons it's not remembered or didn't do so well was because it was just that different, that bizarre, mm. that people couldn't relate to it, or um, didn't, more likely didn't give it a chance, which I find yeah. some of the biz bizarre films. Um, yeah, which is a shame. Like, 
I think, yeah, that, that's what I'd say to listen. You know, give it a chance. Like, you know, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I, I think it's an interesting film, and I think there's more to it than, than yeah. one might immediately assume. But it's a, for, for anyone listening as well. If you do track it down, um, do comment on like the Facebook page and um, anywhere you can, and let us know what you think of it. Yeah, because um, it's, it's one that you know in the sort of week since I watched it, I have mentioned it to a few people who I think would like it. And don't yeah. get me wrong, there's a lot of people I, I think just wouldn't wouldn't like it or wouldn't <laughs> yeah. more more likely wouldn't want to like it is the way but you know, I like bizarre films and um there's a lot of sort of B movie sort of horror crazy films out there. But it's nice to find one that you could just sort of show to a kid. And yeah. um, you know, or in my case, um show to my parents because I don't want them seeing anything offensive because they'll have a go at me. Um <laughs> but with this, I'd I'd love to sit my parents down and say, What do you think of this? And then uh, they um, then tell me they, that I was adopted, I suppose. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, but it, it, you know, for, thanks for because um, a few people have said they'd want to show me a film and do the podcast sort of the other way around, and I haven't. And this is the first time I've done it. Other people oh, haven't thanks. haven't given me the film. Oh, so uh, so um, if you think of any more, we can always always do another one at some point, and. Um, uh, I, I could force you to watch another terrible 80s horror. Um, we'll yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll sure. see. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, and I've I, I really, really enjoyed it. Hey, cheers, Andy. And once again, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next year for more underrated movies from the 80s and 90s. See you all soon.